The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... It's been a good year for ACB on Capitol Hill and Fall Fashion for Men from Lynn Cooper, coming up on ACB Reports for October 2008. But first, you could have a library of over 38,000 book titles plus more at your fingertips. John Glass is the Customer Service Manager for Bookshare.org. Bookshare.org is an online library of books. We have books in just about every subject imaginable in our collection. We currently have over 38,000 books, and we're adding about 200 books a week. Bookshare.org was founded uh, and is run by Benetech, which is a nonprofit organization located in Palo Alto, California. Uh, we went live in 2002, and um, since then we've been building the collection with books and periodicals. In addition to the 38,000 books that we have in the collection, we also have about 150 daily local and national newspapers that you can download and read. We have special collections in Bookshare. The special collections include things like uh, teacher-recommended reading lists. We have uh, a special collection of the New York Times top 10 bestseller books from the last three years. The books in Bookshare are available in special formats. These formats are DAISY Digital Text and BRF, which are standard grade two Braille files. The books can be read on your computer or they can be read in a compatible portable device, such as a Victor Reader Stream, an Icon, a Braille Plus. Since our books are, are digital text, they need to be read in a device that supports speech synthesis because our books have not been read by a live reader. If you have a Victor Reader Stream, you can download our books in either the DAISY format or the BRF format because their new version 2 software now supports BRF files. I would recommend downloading in DAISY format simply because you're going to have more navigation capability. Most of our books have page and paragraph navigation, and some of the uh, material on our site has more navigation, such as the newspapers. You can navigate by section, and then when you're in the section that you're interested in, you can navigate through the articles that are in that section to quickly find information that you want to read. We receive our newspapers and magazines from the Newsline service, which many of you are familiar with. And unfortunately, there are some states which are not funded for Newsline. And unfortunately, we are not permitted to allow people living in those states to download papers. I know that the folks at Newsline are actively working to try and get as many states funded as they possibly can. The best thing for you to do is to get in touch with Newsline and find out how you can help because they are, are looking for people in all of the unfunded states to help so that uh, hopefully in the not too distant future, all 50 states will be funded and available for uh, accessing the service. Bookshare is available to people who have a documented print disability. This means a person who is blind or visually impaired or someone who has a learning disability or a mobility impairment, which prevents them from handling a standard print book. You can sign up online by going to www.bookshare.org 
and uh, choosing our individual subscription link. Now for the real exciting news. Last October, we received a very generous award from the Department of Education Office of Special Education Programs. This award allows us to offer free membership to all qualified students living here in the United States. No, there is no age limit as long as the person is a student and can provide us with information about the school that they're currently attending, they are eligible for a free membership. In addition, the award allows us to do many other things. We will be adding up to 100,000 additional books into the collection over the next five years. We will also be working more closely with publishers to get publisher quality books into the collection. That means that we'll be working to get more books directly from publishers in digital format. As many of you may know, the majority of the books that we have in the Bookshare collection now have been scanned and submitted by volunteers. And we're going to continue our volunteer program. As a matter of fact, we've just hired a volunteer coordinator who will be working full-time uh, to recruit new volunteers and work with our existing volunteers. Volunteers scan books and submit them to Bookshare. The books go into a queue where they are downloaded by a second volunteer and proofread. They're submitted back to us, and then the books are added into the collection. Well, that's how we've been getting the majority of the books into the collection over the last six years. But as I said, we're going to be working more closely with publishers so that we can add to the collection by getting the digital books directly from them, which means that they will be letter perfect. And to make that happen, we have also hired a full-time person who's going to be our publisher liaison to work with the publishers and put together partnerships that will be beneficial to all of us who use Bookshare. We currently have uh, HarperCollins signed up, we have O'Reilly Media, and we have a number of other publishers who have agreed to give us their books electronically. We look forward to being able to tell you more about Bookshare and answer your questions and uh, take your suggestions because that's one of the things that has really made Bookshare what it is today, is us listening to our subscribers and potential subscribers and implementing the features that they want to see us have in the Bookshare system. A subscription to Bookshare enables all-you-can-read access to books in easy-to-use digital formats for a year. The yearly subscription is $50, plus there's a $25 sign-up fee for the first year. Students in the United States may request a free membership. Visit www.bookshare.org for their easy-to-use subscription form. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. October is bringing cooler weather for most of us, so Lynn Cooper from the Mirrors Project begins our look into fall fashion with what's new for men this year. Mike, we are going to be looking at a season of not much change, really. We've got a few looks that are, are different. Now, once again, we have to remind our listeners, as always, our, our caveat is that we are not suggesting they run out and adorn themselves in exactly what I'm speaking about. What I am sharing is what is coming off of the runway. This is designed for drama. Designers throw things down the runway in a very exciting, flamboyant way for the buyers who are sitting along the sides of the runway to 
buy these pieces, and usually what happens is at least 25 to 30, sometimes 50% of that look is toned down. So what we are going to be talking about is what is in the editorial pages of fashion magazines such as GQ, Details, and uh, Men's Journal, Men's Life, what have you. The look is still preppy, and it is still very lean and body-hugging and clean. And what I mean by clean is unadorned. We're not seeing a lot of bells and whistles. We're not seeing a lot of epaulets and buttons and details and zippers and this and that on the outside for effect. Some things change and some things remain the same. What has remained the same is um, suits remain big, stripes, which we talked about last season, in a suit and shirts, very big. We're seeing a lot of stripes remaining in ties, and they're very conservative. We're not seeing a lot of flower patterns, a lot of little other prints. We're seeing very classic, once again, that kind of prep school stripe. And we're still seeing leather jackets, short, just below the waist, once again, not blouson, not blousey with elastic at the bottom. Usually they would be just zip, very clean, relatively unadorned, and very body-hugging with just a mock collar. We are also still seeing lace-up Oxfords. They're not the Oxfords that our dads wore to the office, kind of big and clunky and the you know, three-quarter inch heavy soles. These are very thin and very narrow and very much, once again, unadorned and very sleek, but still lace-up, very, very big, even bigger than uh, slip-ons. What we are noticing in colors remains pretty much the same, navy for suits. Black is back. Never went away, probably, but it is certainly back in casual wear. We're seeing dark black jeans. We are seeing um, sweaters, coats, which is pretty much classic. And khaki, of course, this is seasonal and geographical. And once again, we suggest to our listeners, if you're going to invest in a suit or a sport coat, go to the dark colors, dark gray, navy. Jackets are slim. And what the designers did, and this is really the way out stuff, and my friends who looked at some of the magazines and catalogs actually broke out in giggles, because some of the high-end designers, especially those that design for young men, uh, 20-somethings, probably in advertising, marketing, in, in urban areas, uh, New York, what have you, L.A., they are designing suits, pants, and jackets that actually look like they are two sizes too small. That's amazing with yes. the, the yes. <laughs> street fashions that are prevalent today with everything too large. Precisely. And now, once again, you know, there's so many different segments of the fashion world and what is worn. I was just recently in Manhattan, in New York, and in the same block, I saw bankers, which would traditionally be wearing very classic, more large, uh, looser-fitting jackets and shirts and pants, and then 20 feet away is a young man in the fashion industry. Once again, we really have to remember who is going to be receiving our visual message. These are people that would be needing to be thought to be hip. They were wearing the new, real, ultra-fashion-forward look, which is the jacket is not long. It is actually just below the waist. The sleeves are actually about an inch and a half to two inches shorter than our wrist. So when we say a man shows linen, that refers to the 
three quarters half inch of dress shirt that should be peeking out from a sport coat or a suit. And with this smaller uh, jacket, it looks like it's just really too small. It, it's the little brother's look, like you grabbed your little brother's uh, jacket. The pants, we're not seeing any uh, pleats in front. These are all flat front. And the pants are short and very tight. Once again, this is what's being shown. Do I suggest that our listeners go there if they are going to be buying a few suits for business? I would probably suggest not. But everything is slimmer. We're not having the long pants that are breaking. We're not seeing much of that on the uh, shoes anymore. We're seeing the hems of pants without cuffs and a bit shorter. So things are really pared down. As I said, jackets are slim. They are not double-breasted. We're seeing two buttons, and if you imagine, we always just button one of the buttons on a jacket, or if our jacket has three buttons, we button two. But with these two-button jackets, because they are shorter, they show actually a bit of the shirt and the waistline, so it's really kind of visually startling. Sleeves, as I said, are narrow and shorter. Dress slacks, again, narrow. In some cases, no belt. If you're going to go without a belt, the front waistband placket of the pants has to be designed that way. No pleats, as I said, not a terribly long pant. No break, as we call it, when the pant sort of collapses onto the shoe. And in jeans, we're seeing them skinny, again, lean, and dark blue. We're not seeing any of the faded light blue jeans for men. Shirts, we have a smaller spread collar, and the spread collar means that the points of your collar actually extend out. The space, as you can imagine, where your tie knot is, is wider. And the stripes, as I mentioned earlier, on the ties are big. It is, once again, kind of that 60s, 70s look, so it's not so exaggerated with little skinny mini ties, but they are getting narrower, and they have a small knot, a four-in-hand, we call it, uh, knot. Classic large stripes, as I said, and they're called club ties, C-L-U-B. And that name comes from literally men's clubs, uh, often um, coming from college affiliations, would years ago actually have their own stripe. And that was the pattern that identified you as being from that particular club or school. What's new a bit is the bags that men are carrying. It's certainly for keeping our hands free. Backpacks are still being done, but messenger bags are good, too, to be worn across your chest. But what we're seeing is top handle bags, almost like tote bags that women carry, but they're being done in nylon, cloth, or leather. And that's a different approach. But once again, if you maybe have a service animal in one hand, you're going to need either that messenger bag across your chest or a backpack to keep your hands free. Watches remain big and chunky and sporty. And hair is short with curls and body on top. So if you go to the uh, stylist, if you wish either very short or if you want to shorten it on the sides and have some body on top. Some of the runway drama is being shown in tuxedos. And this is a look we're finding for men as well as women. And this is kind of fun if you can pull it off, if you've taken care of your basic uh, wardrobe needs. Tuxedo 
pieces are being paired with uh, less formal pieces. For instance, traditionally, elements such as a pair of tuxedo pants might be worn with a casual jacket. But even more so than that, the other way, what is worn on top would be a tuxedo jacket with a pair of jeans or a dinner suit, which is a classic black suit with maybe a denim shirt or a t-shirt. Once again, this is an urban out there look, but it is really hitting the runway big for men and women. We also saw pure white suits which scream of sort of a Thomas Wolfe dandyish feel, and they're really, really totally impractical if one has a life. But things like this for men and women do set one apart. The idea is if you are wearing something pure white, it obviously means that you have enough money to dry clean it after every use, or you need not walk through the city that you are being carted around in other means. If you're going to throw a color in, Mike, in ties or in uh, other accessories, burgundy is big, belts even, ties, even shoes. Vests are very, very big. This is really a fun way. Throw on a vest over even a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. Vests are big in not only sweater vests, but also under suits. Some that are made with the suit, like a three-piece suit, they are being shown for women as well. They can be loose. They needn't be tight. They don't have to be buttoned. But it's fun to go to a secondhand shop and to buy pieces like this. Cardigan sweaters are big. And uh, coats, outerwear. Coats are to the knee, not below, or they are what's known as three-quarter length, and that would be at the middle of one's thigh. And they are very slim and straight, and they are belted, not belted where you take the belt and the buckle and you tie it, but this is actually where the belt is put through the buckle. And the buttons are often covered with a panel so you don't, even see the buttons, and that speaks to the uh, clean and um, very unadorned look that we're seeing so much of. So that is a taste of fall and winter for men. That was Lynn Cooper of Lynn Cooper & Associates, Chicago. Lynn Cooper developed the Mirrors Project as part of her personal and professional effort to make the world accessible to all people and to offer positive reflections to people of all abilities. These personal image segments heard on ACB Reports are an ongoing part of the Mirrors Project. Lynn has established an email address through which to receive your feedback, comments, and suggestions regarding these personal image segments. That address is mirrors1usa at yahoo.com. That's M-I-R-R-O-R-S-1 USA at Yahoo.com. The number is the number one. Although Congress is currently busy with serious matters of the economy, the current session has brought some successes for the American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB, explains. The most recent piece of legislation that has been moving and, in fact, has passed uh, both bodies of Congress is the ADA Amendments Act. In June, as I'm sure many folks are aware, a version of the ADA Amendments Act passed the House by an overwhelming majority and was referred to the Senate. And the Senate then introduced its own legislation that was very similar but a little different. That was S-3406 that Senator Harkin and Senator Hatch introduced together. 
It received about 70 co-sponsors, over 30 of which were Republicans, and uh, it passed the Senate um, under unanimous consent provisions, which means that the bill was deemed to have been non-controversial. It was really uh, a non-controversial piece of legislation. A lot of that had to do with the fact that industry and the disability community were able to come together on an agreement. So it was very positive, and so it was referred back to the House and was uh, passed by voice vote. And it will now go on to the president for his signature. This specific piece of legislation would seek to kind of undo some detrimental Supreme Court rulings from the last several years that took away the rights of employees who had been discriminated against by their employers to file lawsuits for being discriminated against by virtue of their disability. In this instance, how it would pertain to people who are blind, um, ACB worked to have a provision put into the legislation that sought to cover low vision devices. Theoretically, in years past, if a blind individual had been terminated, a court could have said that the person was terminated, but by virtue of the fact that that individual had been using a low vision device, like a magnifier or a screen reader, that that then mitigated their disability. They were no longer considered to be disabled. What this says is that this shall have no real basis because one uses a low vision device does not reduce the fact that they are still, in fact, visually impaired or blind or, in fact, disabled. So it, uh, it is good. It makes the distinction between eyeglasses and contacts and low vision devices, which is uh, a very positive move forward. Congress is about to go into, what, recess or adjournment? or Well... Uh, if we can uh, get through this economy legislation that they're working on as we record this, what's going yes, to happen next? Well, as we are uh, recording this, Mike, there is a three-quarters of a trillion dollar financial bailout that the White House and Congress are working on getting passed. Technically speaking, the Congress was supposed to adjourn and recess for the elections on Friday, September 26th. Um, however, given the fact that two major pieces of legislation have not yet been completed, the financial bailout, which... Um, has been on the front burner now for the last four or five days, plus a little thing called uh, funding the government. Oh, that one that shows up every year about this time. Yes. Most of the time, Congress fails to complete all of its budgetary obligations to fund the government before the end of the fiscal year, which is rapidly approaching. So I believe that there are 12 or 13 pieces of legislation, of appropriations, that deal with the funding of the overwhelming majority of all federal agencies. They've let that go, and what they need to now do is a, uh, a procedural measure called a continuing resolution, which would continue funding the government at current levels to a time yet to be determined. So it could go until... November. There's been some talk that Congress could come back in November and there could be a lame duck session to try and get various bills done, plus to do some appropriations work, or that it could go until January. The digital talking books funding is tied up. It is part of the legislative branch appropriations bill. And as part of that, the unfortunate aspect to this really is that 
the funding will continue to be done at fiscal year 2008 levels, which would be $12.5 million. Now, over the last several months, there has been a movement afoot in the House to seek to have that funding dramatically increased as much as $34.5 million for fiscal year 2009. Unfortunately, that's not looking like it's going to happen just by virtue of the fact that the House has not even passed its version of the legislative branch appropriations bill. Constitutionally speaking, the House of Representatives has to pass its version of an appropriations bill before the Senate can take it up. So essentially, I think we're looking to next year to try and figure out how we can increase funding for the Digital Talking Book Program. What's the status of our communications and pedestrian safety legislation? There are two pieces of legislation. There's H.R. 6320, which is the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2008. And then there is H.R. 5734, which is the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act of 2008. Both of those pieces of legislation were introduced earlier this year. Both have sparked a dialogue uh, within Congress surrounding issues pertaining to telecommunications and the lack of equal access to devices and to information within the you know consumer electronics world. On the other hand, the dangers that are currently being posed to people who are blind or visually impaired by hybrid and other electric vehicles out there that are emitting very little sound at low speeds. The telecommunications bill has 11 co-sponsors currently, which is very good, and it spawned a, a hearing earlier this year to cover this issue specifically. The hybrid vehicle bill has well over 60 co-sponsors, and it prompted a public meeting at the Department of Transportation to talk about the challenges that the blindness and low vision community are, are currently having, and in fact, even broader, the rest of the pedestrian public, the challenges that they have in identifying where these vehicles are as they're going about their day. The blindness community is really leading the charge in both of those pieces of legislation and in getting a public dialogue started on the Hill. So, in essence, neither of these bills are going to be passed this year, but what we've done is something very important. We've started a discussion and we've started a debate on Capitol Hill with industry on how to remedy the challenges that we're facing. Essentially, I think we'll start in a more firm place further down the track in January of next year. Our immediate mission then is to continue the momentum in both those fronts. Exactly. How about Randolph Shepard? There was a bill that was introduced by Senator Mike Enzi of Wyoming, who's the ranking member of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. The Randolph Shepard program was only part of a broader modernization, is what they're calling it. It's known as the Javits Wagner O'Day and Randolph Shepard Modernization Act. And essentially, what it seeks to do is to modernize these two programs. The Javits-Wagner Day program employs about 5,000 blind or visually impaired citizens across the country. And the Randolph Shepard program that employs around 2,500. What Senator Enzi was seeking to do was to modernize these programs that were created in the 1930s to make them, I think, more appealing to people who are blind or visually impaired 
today and in the future, and to also make them work better in the context of 21st century government. There are some inherent challenges with that, and the bill is not going anywhere. And in fact, we've been informed that next Congress, this bill probably won't be introduced in the same fashion again. What they'll want to do is try and modernize the Javits-Wagner-O'Day program first in one piece of legislation, and then take a look at the Randolph-Shepard program. It's been a very active year for us here in the national office, and I think it's been a pretty positive year. We've had some big agenda items get a lot of attention within Congress and within the government. It's providing us good momentum for next year. Eric Bridges from the ACB national office was recorded on September 22nd. He will return to ACB reports soon with information about the annual legislative seminar, which will occur in February of 2009. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.